book of Romans chapter 4. A baptism time is always a good time <clears throat> to take a step back and look at the aspect of the gospel that is dealing with our justification. So this afternoon I want to spend a few moments here perhaps reviewing what you're already aware, perhaps strengthening our faith in that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And so those words alone are very, very important when we're talking about our being saved, our being justified by God's grace. So Romans chapter 4, I just want to read the first five verses here. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified, if he was declared righteous by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor or as of grace, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness." People who are baptized according to the scripture and are baptized scripturally are baptized because they have already been saved, justified by the grace of God. They're not being baptized in order to be saved and there are multiple denominations in America today. Church of Christ would be one of those who believe that, among other things, that a person must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, number one. You must be baptized in the name of Christ, number two. And then they actually have three more aspects, one of those meaning endure to the end, and if you do all five of these things, then you are saved. And that is works, is it not? That is man's endeavor to save himself. During the Reformation, we're talking about men like John Calvin and Martin Luther and these men, John Wycliffe and others who were the foundation of the Reformation, declared that this particular doctrine, that we are saved by faith alone, that on that particular doctrine, quote, the church stands or falls, unquote. What do you think about that statement? Do you think that statement is accurate? I do believe that that statement is accurate. We are saved by faith alone on the basis of Scripture alone. And so when we're talking about faith, we're talking about faith being the channel, 
This is very, very important. Faith is the channel by which imputed or credited righteousness is put on our account. So here, if you just want to look at it very simply, and I'm sure there's some flaws with this, but if you just want to look at it very simply, here we are, human beings, under the sun, and what we have in our hands are copies of the Word of God. That Word is faithful. That Word is true. That Word is the standard by which all things are going to be judged by, whether it be us as individuals or churches or denominations or nations. All of it's going to be judged by the Word of God. It's not on the basis of the Word of God plus anything else. It's on Scripture alone. This is what we have in our hands, and what we have in our hands is what God has said. We have a translation of that in our particular language. And we read things in the Bible. And when we read things in our Bible, we are hearing God speak to us. On the basis of those promises that we find in our Bible, we place our faith in an object that is Christ Jesus Himself. So here on earth, the basis of what we have is what God has said or His promises. Christ is where? He's in the heaven at the right hand of God. And the channel that connects those two things together is our faith in what God has said and promised, whose object is the risen Lord. And when those two things come by faith alone, then the righteousness of Christ can then be credited to our account. So faith is the channel by which imputed righteousness is credited to our account. So what this means is, is that when we say to someone, well, my sins are forgiven. You ever said that to anyone? Said that to yourself. My sins are forgiven past, present, and future. What do I mean by that? I mean that my sins are no longer counted against me or credited to me. Well, to whom are those sins credited or imputed? It is the Son of God, Jesus Christ Himself. He took my what? My sins on the cross and He died as a penalty for my sins and He rose again for my justification. And so when we say, well, I'm forgiven, it doesn't mean that I don't sin anymore. What it means is, is that my sins are no longer counted against me, imputed against me, because they have been imputed to someone else. And that is Jesus Christ our Lord. And all this that I just have said is made possible because of our union in Him, in Christ.
So we are placed into His body upon our justification. Just as Adam's sin was imputed to me at my first birth. I wasn't alive when Adam sinned, were you? But we were in Adam, and when Adam sinned, we all sinned, and his sin and guilt was credited to every human being after that, along with the penalty. But when I'm justified, when I'm saved, I am now died to Adam and raised in who? In Christ. And so his righteousness, just like Adam's sin and guilt was imputed to every human being, so in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to me. I have been declared righteous in the sight of God. That is, <clears throat> that is probably, perhaps, a blessing beyond all blessings, isn't it? To think... <clears throat> that all my sins, past, present, and future, have been imputed to the righteous one so that I might be declared righteous. That is an amazing thing. Now this concept of being saved by faith alone is still a problem today. People really struggle with that. Sometimes rebelliously, sometimes ignorantly, but they really do struggle with not faith, but they struggle with this concept of being saved by faith alone. In 2017, some five years ago, six years ago now, Pew Research Center conducted a poll And they asked on this poll of Roman Catholics. Now think about that for a second. Of Roman Catholics. Do you believe that a person is saved by faith alone? 81% of those polled said... We are not saved by faith alone. Now, that really shouldn't surprise us. I was kind of surprised it was so low. But here's the shocker, and this was some six years ago. Of those who took the poll, checked off the mark that they were Protestants. So they're not Roman Catholic. 52% of those who profess to be Protestant believe that they are saved by faith plus good deeds. 52%. What that would mean, theoretically, is that if you met two people on the streets that profess to be Christian and attend some form of Protestant, Baptist, Christian denomination, something outside of Roman Catholicism, one of those two would believe that they are saved by faith plus their good deeds. 
That, that is shocking. And it also means that as we go and confess Christ, <clears throat> that we should not be overly suspicious of everybody's profession of faith, but we definitely should not be overly accepting of everybody's profession of faith. Here's why. Most people, and I really wanted to write all, (laughs) but I didn't do that. Most people would say, if you ask them this question, do you believe in salvation by faith? Most people would answer yes to that question. What is left out in that question? Alone. Everybody see what I'm saying? You go and talk to people today, are you born again, are you a believer, are you a Christian? And they'll say, yes, I believe. I have faith. But either the faith is misplaced, or the faith is not understood, or the fullness of the gospel has not been given, or the object of that faith is wrong. But whatever it is, the world has always been saying, believe. You look at a major sports thing, you ask people, Why, how did you win this race? How did, you, how did you get to that place? And they'll say, I just believed. The world has been peddling the doctrine that if you believe hard enough, then you can do whatever you want to do, including save yourself. But folks, sometimes when people say that they believe in salvation by faith, what they mean is, is they believe in salvation by faith plus something. It may be they believe in salvation by faith plus faith. In other words, the object of their faith is what? Their faith. faith. It's not Christ, it's really their faith and the strength of their own faith. They could believe that it's faith plus, if you're talking in Baptist circles, faith plus the Lord's table. I've had in many decades of ministry, people get really, really upset and I'm for the ordinance of the Lord's table. We have it here on a monthly basis, but they get really, really upset if you happen to miss or move or they don't get to participate by some reason and you almost want to ask them why. Well, of course, if you're Roman Catholic, you believe that one of the ways grace is conveyed to you is by faith plus the Eucharist. Some people believe in salvation by faith plus the church. And I've given this illustration before. Well, what do you believe? Well, I believe what the church believes. What does the church believe? Well, they believe what I believe, and nobody knows. Some people believe that it's salvation by faith plus the keeping of the commandments. can't tell you the number of people 
that I've asked and talked to, and they'll say, well, you know, I'm doing the best I can trying to keep the Ten Commandments. And so you ask them, you go through it and say, well, have you kept them all? And sometimes people will say yes, just like the rich young ruler, right? So I kept all these commandments. And of course, Jesus put his finger on the one that he wasn't keeping, and that was covetousness. Or sometimes people will say, well, it's faith plus baptism, or faith doing plus doing the best that I can. I had a Jewish man one time said, well, yes, I am a sinner. He said it reluctantly, but then he said, well, God understands. Everybody's a sinner. <laughs> well, God does understand, not because everybody's a sinner, but because He sent His only begotten Son to deliver us from our sins. In other words, folks, people really have all kinds of misconceptions about what it means to be saved by faith alone. Even in Bible-believing circles, there is acceptance to some degree or another of men who deny... Imputed righteousness by faith alone. You might have heard of the name Charles Finney. He's normally read because people like his lectures on revival. Let me tell you what Charles Finney said about imputed righteousness. Listen carefully. The doctrine of an imputed righteousness is another gospel. For sinners to be legally pronounced just is impossible and absurd. The doctrine of an imputed righteousness is founded on a most false and nonsensical assumption that it is the atonement rather than the sinner's own obedience as the ground of his justification, which has been a sad occasion of stumbling to many. That's the end of the quote. And many people in Bible-believing circles read his material. Doesn't mean they believe what he just said, but we have a man who says that and... Folks, if if I may be bold, it does put into question his salvation. And I definitely would not advise you to get your understanding of revival from a man whose salvation is questionable. I think more accurately, the Westminster Confession declares it very plain. Quote, Faith... thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness is the alone instrument of justification. And it goes on to talk about that faith isn't dead, it is living, and when you receive the faith of God as a gift and that faith is there, it works by love. But the point of what I'm bringing out is with the gospel is that it is by faith alone. Period. It is the alone instrument of justification. Now, if that's the case 
then we should see this in our Bibles. And this is what Paul's doing in Romans chapter 4. He's having to show that in the Old Testament, that those people in the Old Testament that were justified were justified not on the basis of their works, but through faith alone in the objective revelation of God. And of course, you know the passages. Hebrews 11.6, we probably could say it together, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. It's impossible to please God by works. If we're going to please God, we're going to please God because we believe and are fully persuaded that what God says is so. If a person could do something for their salvation, what would a man do? He would brag about it. This is what it says here, Romans 4, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham were justified by works, then he has something to what? To boast about. Now, he couldn't boast before God, but he would boast before others. For instance, if you believe that it's by faith plus baptism, well, you could stand before God, wouldn't work before God, but you could stand before God and say, well, God, I got baptized and therefore I'm saved. Or you could tell others, as people have told me, well, are you a believer? Yes, I've been baptized. And I have to say to them very kindly, that is not what I asked you. I did not ask you if you got baptized. But that's what they're basing their salvation on something that they what? Something that they have done. Now what makes this so incredible is that the Jews, Israel, placed a high emphasis on Abraham. And we do too. But they believe that Abraham was chosen by God because he was the most righteous man on the earth in his day. So, if Abraham could not be declared righteous by his works, then nobody can be declared righteous by their works. And so Paul goes after this. Verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Alright? Well, where's our authority? It's the Scripture alone. What does the Scripture say? Verse 3, he quotes Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now just note, in 
the passage here in Romans 4, verse 3. What did Abraham do? He believed. Did he have an object of that belief? Yes, he believed God. There's the channel. God said something to him. His object of that belief was in God Himself. Faith is the channel. So Abraham believed God and it was credited or imputed to him as righteousness. In other words, God imputed His righteousness to Abraham. He declared him what? He declared him righteous. On the basis of what? Faith. His belief in what God has said and the person of God. Folks, it's just that simple, right? And yet it is that work that God must do in our hearts. In John chapter 6, they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus responded, this is the work of God. To believe in Him who He has sent. That that verse is an amazing verse. You talk about the work of God, the work of God in a person's heart is that they believe in the one who God has sent. And of course they didn't get it. Now let's go back to Genesis 15 just for a moment and let's take a look at this passage and just reinforce it in our hearts. This is after Abram had returned from bringing his cousin Lot back from captivity. Melchizedek has met him. And, of course, Abraham tied to Melchizedek. Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, now here's the scripture. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. So what was Abram fearing at this point? He was probably fearing the inhabitants of the land. And God says to him, I will be a what to you? I'll be a shield to you. Verse 2, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Verse 4, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. Okay, so does he have a word from the Lord? Does he have a promise? He does have a promise. Verse 5, And he that is the Lord, took Abram outside and said, Now look to the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, 
so shall your, and the New American Standard has descendants, plural, be. That is not a good translation. The Hebrew is singular. And the best translation is, so shall your seed be. And of course, that's also given to us in the book of Galatians. And who was Abraham's seed? The one that was to be the heir. Christ. Christ. And so here he looks up in the heavens. Now think about it on a clear day. He just looks up in the heavens. God says, look up in the heavens. How many stars would you see? You ever seen one of those photographs where there is no city lights or anything that's out there? No clouds. And you look up in there and there's just millions, hundreds of thousands of stars. And Abram's looking up there and God says, count them if you can. Of course, he what? He couldn't. And he says, so shall your seed be. And Abraham, verse 6, he believed in the Lord and the Lord imputed it to him as what? He believed and God's righteousness was credited to whose account? Abram's account. Now that is pretty plain, isn't it? God didn't ask him to show him his works. Abraham didn't even give him a list of his works. He could have given him a list, couldn't he? Abraham was a godly man. God himself said that. But he didn't do any of that. He just looked up. God said, look up. See if you can count it. Look at all those stars. So shall your seed be. And Abraham believed God and he was declared righteous. And folks, if this is how Abraham was declared righteous, then every Jew should do the same. They should believe God and what He has said about the Messiah, that Messiah being the Lord Jesus Christ, and they should desire the righteousness, not of their own, but the righteousness of God. And believe what God has said about His Son, and it would be imputed to them also, would it not? Now that imputation is true for not only the Jew, but also for the Greek. Also for the Gentile. How so? Well, when Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness, was he circumcised or uncircumcised? Now you know the answer to that. The answer to that, he was unwhite. So that he might be the father of faith for the Jew and also for the Gentile. That is us. Now folks, you've got to say to yourself that that 
Paul did some sound exegesis there with those passages and made the proper application. Now here's what really, really, really is amazing. If we go back to Romans chapter 4, and we recall to ourselves is that the Jews placed such an emphasis on Abraham, believing that Abraham had been chosen by God because he was the most righteous man on the earth in his day. It says, verse 4 of Romans 4, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor. That word should be grace. But as what is due... Do we all agree with that? If I'm working for something, then I get the wages of that, correct? Alright, verse 5. But to the one who does not work, meaning he's not working to gain favor with God through his works, the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies who? The ungodly. Folks, God only justifies ungodly people. Only. So what does that make Abraham? Un-ungodly. And folks, we're all ungodly, are we not? We are all not like God, even the best of us. We are totally and completely not like God. And if the Jews believe that Abraham was chosen by God because he was the most righteous man on the earth in his day, and God calls him ungodly, then where do we stand? Where would we stand with Job? Was he an ungodly man? Yes. Job was an ungodly man. Because God only declares righteous ungodly people. He doesn't declare righteous the so-called righteous or the self-righteous, but only sinners. And we're going to come back to Romans 4 to close this out, but go over to the book of Luke, chapter 18. And we can see this really operating very, very clearly. Dr. Tanetti, who's enjoying being with the Lord right now, but this was one of his favorite invitation passages. And it was the one that dealt with two men, one a Pharisee and one a publican. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were what? That they were righteous. And folks, when you do that, you always look down on other people with contempt. So two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And folks, you know that even today... Tax collectors are not viewed very highly. But in that day, they were the lowest of the low. He goes up, verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to who? To himself. 
He thought he was praying to to God. But he said this to himself. Why so? Look back to verse 9. He was trusting in who? Himself that he was righteous. So he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So had he noticed him, he had noticed him, and in his heart, he what? He despised him. He looked down on him. And he gives an example of some of his righteousness. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on all that I get. So he's going through his list on who he's not like. He's thanking God that he's not like these people. And he's going through his list of his own works. But what about the tax collector? He was standing some distance away. In other words, he wasn't even going to get near this holy man. That's the way he would have viewed him. This righteous one. He stood afar off and was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. The Pharisee did. He didn't have any problems with that. But was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the what? The sinner. Was he declaring himself ungodly? Yes. And he was going to God for God to show mercy to him. And folks, when God shows mercy to a sinner, He declares him righteous. That is a mercy, is it not? God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now in case you're wondering, the Lord Himself says, verse 14, I tell you, this man, that is the tax collector, went to his house, what? Justified, declared righteous. Rather than the other, Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And folks, if you're depending on your works, this is what happens in your life. You end up exalting yourself. But the tax collector, he humbled himself. And God did what? He exalted him. He justified the ungodly. And I'm so glad that God justifies the ungodly. Aren't you? Where would we be, brethren? Where would we be? If we had to measure up to some standard of righteousness. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is the standard? 
The glory of God. Who is that? Christ is the glory of God. If we had to meet the standard of the law, if we had to meet 50% of the standard of the law, if we had to meet 25% of the standard of God's law, if we had to meet 1% of the standard of God's law, we're all lost. But God justifies the ungodly. And this is exactly, as Paul goes on in Romans chapter 4, he begins with Abraham. And then he gives us another ungodly person. You might be shocked by this name. Romans chapter 4 verse 6. Who is this ungodly person? David. Then he's going to go on and show the aspects that Abraham believed when he was justified. What was it about God that he believed? Look at verse 17. As it is written, A father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, number one, who gives life to the dead, number two, and calls into being that which does not what? We're unrighteous. And God declares us righteous and imputes the righteousness of His dear Son. He brings into being something that did not exist in you. And He gives life to the dead. Sarah's going to have to believe those two things also. Because her womb was what? Her womb was dead. Can God give life to dead things? Can God call a son into being that was not in being? Absolutely. And Abraham had to believe this. And in verse 21, Abraham did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, giving, growing strong in faith, giving glory to God, growing strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, He was also able to perform that God could give him an heir, a seed by whom multitudes of people would shine like the stars in heaven, just like Daniel 12 says. Therefore it was credited to him as righteousness. Now look at verse 23. Now, Not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him. But for our sake also. Isn't that a blessing? God wrote it down through holy men of old, not just for Abraham's sake, Not just for Moses' sake, not just for David's sake, but for our sake. 
but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our what? Justification. So folks, when Charles Stinney makes the statement that the doctrine of imputed righteousness is another gospel, he is wrong. Ungodly people can be legally pronounced righteous. And the righteousness not of you, nor of your brethren, but the righteousness of God can be credited to you if you will believe on the one whom He has sent, Jesus Christ. And if you would call upon His name to save you, would He do that? Folks, if you believe what the Scripture says, and you believe that God has raised this man, Jesus Christ, from the dead, and that He's at the right hand of God, and that whosoever calls on His name would be saved, and you are fully persuaded that He is able to do that, you would be saved. You too would be imputed the righteousness of God. That is salvation. Now, a lot of other things happen on that legally declared righteous. We're regenerated. We're given new life. We're given the third member of the Godhead. A lot of other things in this package, right? But folks, don't be part of the 52% who believe in salvation by faith plus anything else. It's all of Him or it's nothing. May Jesus Christ be praised. Let's go to Him in prayer and we'll get prepared for our baptism.